defined as a feeling of agitation caused by the presence or imminence of danger. Why do you think people believe in ghosts? Stinking aliens! You blew it all up! I think the aliens are here. Right. Bring on the aliens. Excuse me, sir. We're with uh, Eyewitness News. What are you doing? Oh, stay back. This whole area is contaminated. Is, is this something from the Bible? Is this Revelations? Is this is an alien invasion? Blast them with your sonic powers, and I'll hit them with an intense ray blast. <laughs> oh. oh, oh my gosh! What a dream! 
Christ, I will have fries with that. It's still the flea circus. It's all an illusion. When we have control again. You've never had control. That's the illusion. I was overwhelmed by the power of this place. But I made a mistake, too. I didn't have enough respect for that power, and it's out now. It's out of sheer morbid curiosity. I'm allowing this freak show to continue. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome back to Inside Movies Galore. I am your host, David Stregge, and here in the room I have my buddy Forrest. Hey, Dave. Always, good, always, good, always good to be on the show. Definitely. And uh, also in the room I have guest director and actor um, Joel uh, D. Wincoop. Thank you for, uh, for coming on and having the time to uh, let me have a chat with you. Oh, you're very welcome. Thank you guys for having me. Appreciate so, it. Thank you. Well, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got involved in the independent uh, film industry? Um, I think uh, <clears throat> when I was a kid, actually, um, first of all, I was always dressing up, playing Batman uh, when I was, you know, eight, nine years old. Uh, my neighbor actually made me the cape and stuff, so I'd have a Batman <laughs> cape instead of a towel. <laughs> and then... I think just as time went on into the 70s, um, I, you know, I was watching Six Million Dollar Man and Planet of the Apes is really big in those days. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think I was, oh yeah, that's what it was, of course. How can I forget this? Uh, Godzilla and King Kong. When I saw those movies and then I got a, well, I got a magazine, Filmland, that, that, that's uh kind of a neat story that was way back in the 70s like 75 these truck drivers were at my neighbor's house and and my friend jim marty and i were out in front and the truck drivers said here kid this is something to keep you up at night and he threw me a uh monsters or famous monsters of Filmland. okay and uh <clears throat> dracula and frankenstein and then i started watching horror incorporated and so i was getting interested in the monsters and stuff but then in the in the later 70s i got moved to uh lake park florida or like uh lake yeah lake park florida and uh met up with my neighbor who had the same interests and then when i was reading about godzilla and kong i found out that kong was an armature that they moved you know and you know animated it and then godzilla was a guy in a suit which i apparently i didn't figure that out on my own <laughs> maybe i thought there really was godzilla um and then my dad said, I could buy you a camera if you want to, you know, make your own movies. I, I said, that'll be neat to do that. And he bought me a Super 8 camera, got the guy to throw in two cartridges of Super 8 film, a tripod, mm -hmm. and batteries. And I took that home, and with my neighbor, Steve Campbell, I think we made our first movie, was Monster Owl. We called it Ghoulanium, and we took all our dinosaurs. And one of the kids next door comes running over, and his name's Tim Ritter, and he goes, here, Joel, he's about eight, and he goes, here's my dinosaur, you can use it in your movie, and I said, oh, cool, thanks, <laughs> and then, before you knew it, then we did the uh, Invisible Boy uh, meets the, um, Invisible Transport Boy meets the Bionic Boy, <laughs> you know, the Bionic, you know, with eight million, a six million dollar man, so we made a whole Super 8 movie, it was an hour long, and in those days, you had to splice it, it wasn't like editing, Mm -hmm. You took a piece of tape and you put it over the film and you flipped it and you did it the same on the other and you ran it through the little projector. <laughs> and I remember having the film laid out all over my floor one day and my friend Mike Greenberg comes over and he was looking at me, sees all this film all over my floor and he grabs and goes, yay! And I go, what are you doing? Stop! 
<laughs> wrinkles, and then you can't, you'll tear it in half trying to get it apart. And um, so that that's pretty much what got me started in that. And then uh, uh, I had moved away from the area, and then I, I think I started Tim Ritter doing stuff because after that, he got a, and he had appeared in my Robin, and then he appeared in my Bionic Boy Meets the Invisible Boy, and he wasn't doing anything then. He's like eight. But later on, I think when he was 14 or 15, I think, his mom got him a Super 8 camera, and he started making movies. <clears throat> and I always tell him that to this day. I go, I, I think we had a conversation not too long ago. I said, did, did I get you interested in that? He goes, I, I think you did, because because you put me in your movies, and then it was about six years later, then he got a camera. Mm-hmm. So uh, that both kind of, you know, started so basically inspired each movies. other. Mm-hmm. So, you inspired, so you inspired each other, basically. I think so, yeah. Okay. So, um, you're, I'm going to ask you about your directing career first, and then we'll branch okay. out into your acting career. Is that okay? Okay. Yeah, fine. So, um, the first project that uh, it seems like you uh, you got involved with is uh, Twisted Illusions, which is an anthology, correct? Yeah, that is the first time after I did all this Super 8 stuff, I had moved away from the neighborhood, came back, and Tim was making movies, he did Day of the Reaper, and then we got together and we said, we should make something, and Tim was like, we have to have something like uh, a name, and I think Tim came up with Twisted, and then I was like, we should have something, you know, Twilight Zone-ish, something Illusions, and he goes, oh, that's it, he goes, Twisted Illusions. <laughs> and that became not only the, the company name, but that was the name of the, the VHS short, which we put together. And right away, pretty much as soon as we got it out, we sent it to Jeff Miller at Peerless Films. And that started the whole ball rolling for Truth or Dare. Okay. So um, what was it that you contributed to uh, uh, tw- uh, Twisted Illusions? Um, uh, it, was it just a segment, or did you do... Uh, did you direct more than one? No, Twisted Illusion, as soon as we started that, uh, Tim said, well, I'll come up with three stories, and then Joel, he goes, you come up with three stories, and then Tim did the wraparound, which included Tim and I in the wraparound, and then I wrote three stories myself, he wrote three stories, okay. and then I, di- I directed mine, he directed his, okay. if I remember, I think he directed my tape, Terror, or I think he did it. With, I think we directed our own segments, and um, but yeah. So I and then the funny thing about that is we actually held auditions, mm. and it's funny because we would go to the Palm Beach Mall and walk around and hand out business cards that said Thirteenth Dimensional Video, and we'd be like, and we'd leave signs, we'd put them up, and the security would come behind us and tear them down. <laughs> they would say Twisted Illusions is hiring for a, a new movie, and then. We had auditions in a parking lot one time with all these actors came to the parking lot. <laughs> and uh, when I got back to my apartment, Tim was saying, well, we met some good guys, but I really need somebody cool to play that Mike Strawber character. And I was like, well, what do you mean? He goes, well, I really want the Mike Strawber to be yelling and screaming. And that one guy was kind of okay, but it's not like I wanted it. <laughs> and then so, so I took the script and I said, well, what do you mean? Like this? Like... I'll do it. I rip my tongue out. I rip it out. And he goes, "Oh man!" He goes, "That's cool. You got to do that." And I go, "You, you want me to do it?" <laughs> you know, I had, I had no plans to act, and the last thing I did was my Super Eight stuff. And um, 
So I go, oh, you want me to act in it? And he goes, yeah, man, you'd be cool doing Mike Strauber. And um, I go, okay, cool. So I ended up, you know, doing Mike Strauber role in, in his uh, Truth or Dare segment. And okay. then, uh, yeah, so we put them all together. We had six stories with the big wraparound. And we put it, um, I remember going out, we had black and white covers. And we, we scotch taped the covers onto the plastic VHS tape boxes. Mm-hmm. And then we, we were like, this ain't good. We got it. And then I went to a Xerox place, which nowadays they're everywhere. But then, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, anything you can get so much easier now than you could in the 80s. I'm going around mm-hmm. trying to find this. You know, place today. I would tell the guy, is this a, is this a laser copy? He goes, oh, get out of here with that laser copy. It's the same damn thing, same damn thing. And I go, okay, no good man. <laughs> so I drew a picture of a monster coming out of a, um, a VHS um, player. And uh, we put that into the, you know, we had the, the ones now. We had the little shield on the outside. You could slip the cover in. And then we took it around and sold it to video stores. I mean, we drove. Just like Hawaiian Tropic, how they started out, they put their stuff in bottles and they drove it around, and they just became more of a big marketing than we ever did. <laughs> but that's how we did it. We we drove it around, went into the video stores, and I'd say, "Hey, I'm Joel Wank. This is my partner Tim Ritter. We got this movie, Twisted Illusions. We like this, you know, sell it. It's twenty dollars." And they're like, twenty dollars." And uh, but we we did pretty good. Two guys on a road. We went all over from. Uh, I think I was in West Palm then. And we would drive up to Jupiter and kind of beyond that. And then we'd go down into Jensen Beach and going down towards more, more uh, outside of Palm Beach, my, my, towards Miami. Not all the way down for twist, Twisted Illusions. But, that, yeah, that's how it all started. And then, uh, and then, you know, once we did everything we could possibly do with it, that's when we had sent it to Jeff Miller. And he wanted to back us to do uh, Truth or Dare. Okay. Um, now, uh Ron Bonk uh, is in charge of uh, Sub Rosa Cinema. How did it uh, end up having a home there? Uh, you know, uh, delusions, and I think a lot of your earlier films ended up going to Sub Rosa Cinema. Yeah, it was um, at the time. It was Salt Lake, Salt Lake City Home Video before he was Sub Rosa. He didn't. He didn't pick up. Twisted Illusion. I don't think Ron did anything with us until Creep, I think. Because I remember Ron saying to Tim and Ron saying to me, Creep was the best shot on video movie, you know, at the time. Mm -hmm. And that's when he was, I think he was still Salt Lake City home video going into Sub Rosa Studios. So that was, he took Creep first and then the other one slowly started to come out. Okay. Um, so you, the next, uh, well, and how has the reception of twi- uh, Twisted Illusions be- uh, been since you guys like put it together? Uh, how have people responded to it? Well, I remember when it first came out. I remember um, go, you know going around to the video stores because we had done Day of the Reaper too, or Tim did, and then yeah. that's how Tim and I got back together. I told him after we hooked back up on the phone, he goes, well, "I'm I'm, make, I'm selling this movie, Day of the Reaper." And I, and I told him, I said, look, I'll help you with that if you want. And he's like, oh, thanks. So I went over to his house, helped him package it and everything. And then, and then I had to play a friend of mine that had a shrink wrap machine at Video Connection. So he, he let me shrink wrap him. And then Tim and I went out, same thing, did, you know, Soul Day of the Reaper. His movie, I was just helping him do it. Got it in all the video stores and then came Twisted Illusions. Um, 
So that that was first. That came first. So now we're and that, even that day of the Reaper, the guy the instead of the people just saying, Yeah, here's twenty dollars, have a good day, they gotta get into a big the guy was like, Well let's put it in our machine. Where this is at another video connection type place. And we're watching it and and right away he's like, I don't hear the sound and I go I go he goes, No, he goes, You don't understand. He goes, I wanna hear the door open, I wanna hear the creak of the door, I wanna hear the guy breathing because Tim did it all with, you know, ADR on Super 8 film. And I go, oh, yeah, well, our next one's going to be better because we're going to do it on video. And the guy goes, not video. I don't mean video. And I'm like, I'm thinking, what do you, what do you guys want? We got like $20 between us. And, uh, but we, you know, bring it back when you come back. And, uh, you know, but we did. We went back to his delusions. I go, well, it's a, it's a step up. At least I can hear everything. But everybody was so... They don't like video. Nobody like you know video. This is like a soap opera. I don't like this. <laughs> um, but mostly we talked to everybody before. It was like, come on, man, it's only twenty bucks. Just buy it. At one point, one guy didn't want to even buy it, and Tim was like, "Well, can I trade some posters for it?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, go through all those posters." So Tim went through all these posters, and then we, he just took the posters and gave the guy the tape. But the main thing was, the movie was getting up on all these shelves, and some people. They would buy them. They'd be like, oh, I'll take this. I'll put it up and see how it does. And then there, there are the other ones that were like, mm -hmm. nah, we don't, we don't want this, or we don't like it. Oh, this is your cover, a white cover with a, a green monster coming out of a red VCR. And I'm like, again, I'm like, man, what do these guys want? Independence Day? And, um, but yeah, that's how it started. So it was, it was rough then. It's still rough now, really, honestly. Okay. So that project was done in 1985, correct? Yes. And then uh, yeah. after that, um, you went into a project called Lost Faith. Is that a cor correct? Well, I did Twisted Illusions. Then I did, um, uh, with Tim, we did, I helped Tim with Dare the Reaper. Then we did Twisted Illusions. Then we did Truth or Dare. Then we did Killing Spree. Then I did Lost Faith. Okay. So, in fact, actually, no, I should say it. I was doing Lost Faith the same time I was acting in Killing Spree because I remember one of the guys, Scott Thede, our sound guy, and he said when we were we were all sitting at the floor at Al's house shooting Killing Spree, we were taking a break, and Scott Thede goes, he says, man, you're busy. I go, what do you mean? He goes, I saw you on television last night. You're doing this movie, Killing Spree, for Tim, and you're talking about doing another movie called Lost Faith last night on TV. And I go, oh, yeah, I'm starting that. And so I was actually shooting Lost Faith, but still going back to do the scenes for Killing Spree. Okay. So uh, tell us a little bit about Lost Faith and how you came up with the idea for it. Um, uh, let's see. I think because I was in, I can't remember, that would have been 1980. It was like a stretch between 88 to 92, because I went right in the middle of it, I went through a divorce, and I... Sorry about that. To, yeah, I went to flip my car. I had my car up to 95. They're not even made to go that fast. And I was going to flip it, but I could really feel God just say, slow down, everything's going to be fine. And I just took my foot off the gas, and the car went down to like 40. Um, but yeah, that. so I'd already started Lost Faith. Um, I think I just came off of... Truth or dare, and I wanted to do a karate movie, and uh, yeah, I must have been a martial arts, and I must have been taking taekwondo and kickboxing from my mm -hmm. instructor Richard Wingate. So 
at one point, because yeah, because I had to know I had to know the martial arts to get involved. So I must have been doing my martial arts before that. So I got into doing the movie. And like I said, it started in '88. I finished it in '92 because of the divorce was most of it. Uh, Steve and I even went back and reshot scenes for the movie four years later and cut them in. And um, I wrote it, but I never had a title for it. And my nephew came. My nephew Mark Heidelberg came over one day, and he said, "Hey, I thought of a name for your movie." And I go, "What's that?" He goes, and he hands it to me, and it was a a, a drawing of a gun, a guy and a cross, and he goes, you should call it Lost Faith. And I go, oh, that's a cool idea. I'm going to use that. And he goes, yeah. I So I said, that's cool. And I remember I would take that notebook with me everywhere I went. And, you know, if we were at Denny's or Wags, my mom's, the car wash, wherever, I would have that, and I would get an idea, and I'd whip the notebook out, and I'd start, you know, writing Literally. the scene for Lost <laughs> Faith. Yeah. Well, I would write it, I'd script it. You know, I had, you know, the Matt Master master and then i put down you will all be my victims or whatever now i'd write the whole thing down in the notebook and then of course then i got a typewriter for christmas well my dad had one but i had a typewriter so then i could you know actually type up the movie mm-hmm. and uh then yeah then i just uh went out casted for that at a hotel we had three nights i think it was friday saturday and sunday and uh, i had about 60 to 70 people show up each night and then I uh, just casted the whole movie. I uh, got a guy that had, I see, I had nothing when I was starting it. Uh, Tim, 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 Tim Ritter taught me how to do the production board. Now, the production board with the little slats in it, like we used in Truth and Air, I was like, get that away from me. That'll just make me throw up. I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And Tim said, he goes, well, come over Saturday night and I'll teach you how to do a production board with index cards, which I still do today. That's easier for me when you put down. One index card says day one, the next one says day two, day three, day four, day five. And then you take your index cards and put what you're going to do on those days. And then and I, I use it all the time because you'll go, you'll look at it and you go, oh, this guy can't make it on day one, but he can make it on day two. So we'll move his card to day two, put it down. And then, oh, now I don't have time to do this guy on day two. We'll move him to day one. So you get seven or eight cards under each day depending on how many days you got and then and that's how you balance everything um opposed to just saying hey come on over and not having anything <laughs> written down and knowing who's gonna show up so tim taught me that and then he came with me the next day to the shoot and uh he was helping me direct one of the scenes on the beach and um and then he took a role in it He's at the beginning of the movie. He's one of the security guards. Well, there's three versions of Lost Faith, and I think, I think he's in this one, the cult movie mania one, where he goes up the stairs, mm-hmm. and he's he's like supposed to be a security guard, and he's explaining to the cop. He's saying he's kind of like Mr. A. He's kind of like Mr. T on that A show. He had lots of chains on, but not as good as mine. And the cops going, "Oh, we don't care about you. We don't care about yours." And then Tim goes, I'm going to go talk to Beardman over here. I think that's in that cut. I can't remember. But, yeah, so he was in that, too. So, uh, yeah, so that. And then the other thing was my dad was a minister. And my my uh, brother-in-law, Carl, he had told me, he goes, I got to talk to you someday about going into the ministry and following your dad's footsteps. My dad my dad died before he even got to be ret- he, he retired for two days, and then he died. And I said, you know, that, that really sucks. You know, you retire? For working for God, and then you die. You don't even get to enjoy your house. That sucks. <laughs> but um, 
I didn't want to do that, but I said if I can do it in movies, I will. And so that's what I had, Lost Faith. I think had this fun action martial arts tone, but it also had a message, but it wasn't crammed down anybody's throat. A lot of people didn't even notice it, you know, mm -hmm. and then watch it. And uh, but there, there was a message there. If they received the message, I thought that was great. If they didn't, they got to see a fun action, you know, martial arts comedy. Because I'd always I like Monty Python and I like Jerry Lewis and and uh, you know all those guys. So I wanted to put that slapstick humor in there, not make it serious. I wanted to make it fun. Okay. And uh, I, I, I think it's so. Uh, you know, at the time it was kind of like oh, cool. Now it's got this kind of new following, which is cool because a lot of people really, really like the really like the movie, really like Lost Faith, which I'm happy about. Okay. Um, so. Um, ultimately, uh, what was the reception of Lost Faith uh, 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 that you th uh, 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 think from then to now? I think it was still good, but I didn't. It didn't get the release that Cult Movie Mania got me because when I signed with them for the movie, then then it went all over. Then it was all overseas, all over the country. I, I did pretty good marketing it because what I I've never done anything like i did lost faith before because i buried myself in that movie i would mm -hmm. call people on the phone and go hey i got a movie coming out i'm gonna be coming to your store you know i want you to buy three copies and they were like i don't even know who you are man and then i'm going you know t you know tell them about it i just shot this movie here in fort pierce in port st Lucie. it's some parts are shot in vero some are shot in west palm you got to get this get it in your uh get it in your video store I'm like oh well yeah come by but then I went on television. This I did this all before. I, I had it so systematically planned out. I had all my movies, all the tapes. They were all in boxes. Mm -hmm. They're all shrink wrapped. They're all ready to go. I set up the day, which I think was a Saturday, that I would be in the video stores. Then I called all the newspapers, and I did interviews in the Post Times, the News Tribune, Fort Pierce, the Port St. Lucie News, the Vero Beach Times, um... I think I even went up as far as Cape Canaveral, uh, down at Post Times down at West Palm Beach, uh, into Jupiter. I hit every major newspaper I could, and I got stories in all of them. Then I went to television, Fox 13, WPEC, Channel 12, Channel 5. I hit everybody with, you know, hey, I got this new movie, got on television about it. And a lot of that stuff actually got picked up because my brother saw it in Minnesota. Because, you know, TV stations, they share their, they'll share their footage. Yeah, and uh, he saw it there. So when I walked into the first video store, because it was all promoted so well, they, they recognized me from television and the newspapers. And they were like, have you got like three or four of those, right? And I'm like, oh, you want three or four? And they go, yeah, yeah, we'll take four. And I go, okay. And I get four. And I think I was doing them at 20 apiece. And then, yeah, it was so well publicized. They were telling me, as I walked through the door, they go, We'll, we'll buy them. We'll buy six. We'll buy eight. We got so many people coming in here asking for that movie. They all want to see this movie because I promoted it so well by saying, you know, you should get this movie. It's right in your hometown. Mm -hmm. I could have, I might have been shooting right down your street. We shot it over in Bayshore Park, which is, you know, a very popular place. Everybody would go. Because Fort Pierce and Port St. Lucie aren't like Tampa. They're, they're little tiny residential type places. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I, I did really good. So good, in fact, I remember... I had to borrow three thousand dollars from my mom to do the whole, the, the whole movie, the box, because I remember Tim telling me he goes, 
He goes, I got you a real good price. The guy that did killing spree, are you ready for this? And I go, yeah. And he goes, are you really? You better sit down. I got you such a good price. And I go, yeah, just tell me. And he goes, $300. And I go, oh, man, that's great, Tim. Wow. Thanks. And then we got to the guy. And I'm going, oh, great. Thank you. $300. This is a good deal. And he goes, 300 He goes, 3000 And I looked at Tim. And Tim looked at me. And he goes, what? And the guy goes, it's $3,000. And Tim goes, Oh, man, I'm really sorry. I, I thought it was $300. You're kidding. And I was like, you know what, man? It doesn't matter. This this was such a big deal to me. So I borrowed $3,000 from my mom, mm -hmm. and I, I had her paid back within the month just going out and doing all the And I was doing them in the mail. I was going into the stores. I drove from my house in Fort Pierce all the way up to Cape Canaveral. Um, you know, you need to hit Satellite Beach on the way up, Cocoa. Mm -hmm. I go over to uh, Cocoa Beach. I go over to Cocoa. I'm going to down all the way down to Miami, uh, West Palm. I hit everywhere, everything. And when Tim and I did it, it'd be Tim, his wife Kathy, and myself. And Tim would be like driving, and he goes, "Okay, Kathy, you check the left side of the road. Joel, you check the right." And that's how we did it. We'd be like video store, and Tim would be like, <laughs> <laughs> "And when I went on vacation, I went to uh, South Carolina." This is moving it up a notch, but I was taking Wicked Games into little stores I would see up in uh, when we were uh, going to South Carolina. I was stopping in states. Oh, there's a video store. Spin the car around, go in, sell the movie. So it's really a process. Um, you don't do that now. <laughs> you got your oh, no. distributor, you got your streaming, but back in the day, um, yeah, there we were a heck of a lot more. There were a heck of a lot more mom and pop shops. A lot more, yeah. a lot more door to door, a lot more door to door sales. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh and then yeah, and then we even had one guy. I said, uh, I go, yeah, I want to pick this movie. I'm not picking that movie up for me. You got, you guys are probably trying to, you're trying to sell bootleg things. And I, go, <laughs> I go, hey man, it's not bootleg. That, that's me on the cover. That's not you. That's not you. This is lost faith. <laughs> well, I'm clearly, clearly I'm clearly with lost. I imagine with lost faith uh, as the th uh, things, uh, some people actually thought you were a Jehovah's Witness or some uh, something <laughs> like that. <laughs> Maybe I, there's all kinds of religions, but it focused on the martial arts. The faith mm -hmm. part was, you know, like the surprise there. So they got a cover of me on the cover throwing a karate kick, and there's the and still question. They, no, they never questioned anything like that about faith. What they questioned was, I would take out my license and go. Dude, that's me. That license is fake. You're trying to fake me out. Get out. Get out. And they were screaming at us. You know, get out of my store. Get out of my store. And I'm like, it's my movie. Get out. And I'm like, okay. One guy in Miami, uh, we took Creep in there. It was Tim, Kathy, and I. We all went in. We were trying to sell him a copy of Creep. And he, I go, yeah, see, we got Kathy Willits in it. He goes, she's probably only in it for three seconds. Get out of here. You guys are trying to rip me off. And we're like, it's, we're not trying to rip you off. Blockbuster told Tim, they go, the man's rage on the cover is too much for our customers. We can't buy it. <laughs> <laughs> and then others you'd get a hold of, and they'd say, we got to come back on the managers here. And we're thinking, nobody has the authority to spend 20 bucks whoop de do and and so we make appointments to see the guy and then you go out of your way and you go there and they'd be like oh yes his foot got hurt so he's not here today <laughs> so there was some stores we just couldn't get in and we just finally gave up on um but we still did you know we still did really good because we just went everywhere with all the movies until 
until Ron really picked it up. So, did you use any actors or actresses that uh, you had used in your Twisted Illusions uh, short films in Lost Day? Um, it was, uh, I know there's the one girl that's on the cover of Twisted Illusions, and then, I don't think, I don't think I used anybody from okay. Twisted Illusions. Oh, we did use that Tim's teacher was in Twisted Illusions, and Tim got him a job on Truth or Dare, so he came back, he was originally Twisted Illusions, and then... I don't think I used anybody. Just I don't think there was anybody. Okay, so I was actors, interested. The actors, yeah, actors. yeah, okay. yeah, for my audition. That's cool. Uh, going into your next production uh, that uh, that you were part of, uh, which was another anthology called "Before I Die," well, which ultimately be uh, became that. Um, well, just to clarify, about... "Before I Die" was about sixty movies later, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's the next one up on the list that I see here okay. on IMDb. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, before I die, uh, oh, that's with Phil. I was thinking, I always get these things confused. Um, before I die was, yes, an anthology. Um, Phil Herman um, had, uh, there's uh, somebody else did, there's a story by uh, Marilyn Tigalani, I think you pronounce her name if I'm correct. And another person that did the real estate story. And then I did one called Time for Dessert. Okay. And mm -hmm. that was a story. I'm, I, think, I think it came up from a long time ago. I told Jeff Miller at Peerless right after we did Truth That Air. I told him I got a story about this girl that picks up guys and gets them to the hotel. And then as they're kind of getting it on, she morphs into a monster but I was going to call it, I want your penis. And, and and the monster would go, I want your penis. And he would rip it off and eat it and then eat the guy. I was just saying it to Jeff as a throwaway kind of goofy little story. And Jeff was like, oh, that's great. Ah! God rest his soul. He's gone. Um, but then in two, 1999, I did write something, but I said, I won't call it that. I'll call it Time for Dessert. And I had an actress, Kathy Holsebrook, and she was very interested in wanting to do movies. I gave her a part in uh, Fall of an Actor, and when Fall of an Actor was kind of in limbo. So I wrote this story about a woman that was going around picking up guys, and that's what we'd do. We'd show a scene where she'd pull up in a car, and she goes, hey there, you know, come with me. And the guy would be like, oh, yeah, I'm going to go with you and get it on. And they get back to the hotel, and you start seeing them, like, making out and getting it on. And then and then it cuts. Oh, yeah, and then there would be this guy, this goofball guy coming along. He's, he wants to, to, to get it on with her, and he's always chasing her around. And he's like, oh, she's with another guy. <laughs> and then... Um, so you see this go on for about three or four. You never see what happens. And the last part of the segment, she brings a guy in the bedroom, and he looks around. And he goes, "Why do you have all these? Why are all your mirrors covered up with towels?" And she goes, "Well, I just I don't like to I don't I don't like to look at myself in the mirror." And the guy's all right. So the two of them are getting it on, and she's on top of the guy. Mm -hmm. And uh, all of a sudden, the guy's enjoying it, and then he glances and he goes, "Hey, your towel fell." And when he looks into the mirror, it's a monster on top of him with big spider legs and a big spider 
you know, face and big mm-hmm. fangs. And he goes, Whoa, God, what are you? And she's like, Shut up. And she rips mm-hmm. his shirt open and she jams her face in his chest. And then, of course, we didn't have a lot of effects and I didn't want to wreck the bed with blood and stuff. So it was more like pushing the mask into his chest and then putting in sound effects like she's ripping him to pieces. And then, <laughs> so that's when you truly see that's what she was. She was this alien disguised as a woman that would go off, pick up men, because the men are like, oh, you want to lay me? Yeah, I'll go with you. You know, <laughs> and uh, that, and then, and then when she she gets out of bed, she's walking around the ho- the um, apart- the hotel room. She opens a closet and there's a dead guy in there. Then she opens her refrigerator and there's a head in there. She goes to get in the shower and there's an arm hanging in the shower. And she goes, um, I think she says, I'm, I'm going out to eat. And then you see her in the car and she's driving around and she sees this guy. And then you, she's looking at him. Oh, no, she parks the car. She gets out of the car and she looks at the guy and she licks her lips and she goes, time for dessert. And that's the end of it. <laughs> I, was, I thought it was pretty cool. I thought it was a pretty neat little short. <laughs> And that was in Before I Die. Okay. Uh, so, ultimately, after that pro- uh, 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 pro- uh, project, uh, how much... Uh, 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 now, have you actually heard back uh, 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 from other people uh, about that particular uh, sh- uh, short film from that particular anthology? A lot of, a lot of people did like it, especially, um, unless he's, he's kidding with me, he told me, he goes, Joel, that's my favorite short that I've ever seen is Before I Die. He goes, I love that. And I thought, oh, that's cool. And one of the actors and I don't really get along now because um, he says a lot of crap about me and it kind of damages me and stuff. Mm-hmm. But I will still always say he, he did a great job, Gustavo Perez. He did a great job as the guy that's chasing around Kathy's character. He's funny. I, ha- I mean, the comedy came from inside him but i would tell him what to do and it made a great match which is sad that we don't work together now because he is talented and when i directed him in that it was you know he was running between telephone poles trying to catch glances and ducking into the bushes and peeking and i told him you know peek out make your eyes bug out and be like oh she's kissing him and uh I remember what there's a scene in the movie where he's waiting for the girl to come out of the elevator and he's flipping a comic book. And I showed my buddy Bill Casanelli that. And the, only, the only thing Bill could say is, Don't do that to that comic book. Don't damage that. <laughs> treat that comic book with respect. <laughs> the guy was flipping through the pages. Um, but no, I, I don't have anything where people write me and go, Hey, this is the greatest story. Um, I, I know from that that they've said that. They go, they'll say, like, And it was so long ago, too, before I die. 1999, I think, and um, so yeah, so but I, I do remember Andrew t- Andrew Allen told me that he goes, "This is my favorite story. I love it." And uh, but for yeah, for the movie coming out, I think at the time, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people like that because it was kind of a cool little story about. Because up until that point, people just think it's a woman picking up guys, and then at the very end, you see the tra- and it's a very, a very 1950s kind of thing because. It was this giant spider I had, and I had to mount the spider inside the shirt and connect it to her front, <laughs> and then I had the spider legs coming out, and then I had the bat, and she couldn't see what she was doing in there, and, you know, but it, for what it was worth, for a 1950s kind of, you know, fly, you know, kind mm-hmm. of thing, with yeah. David Hedison, it was kind of cool that you see the reflection in the mirror, and you're like, oh, shit, what's that? I didn't expect that. <laughs> 
So yeah, I mean, and, and low budget, no money, and uh, you know, yeah. Uh, sure. So okay. after that um, pr uh, production, you got uh, got into a second anthology for Twisted Illusions too, correct? Yeah, we did Twisted Illusions too. Uh, I think I think that was either right before or right after, because I know that was also nineteen ninety nine two thousand two thousand one era. And same thing, Tim Tim and I were talking on the phone, and we always said twenty years prior at the end of Twisted Illusions, it said coming soon, Twisted Illusions two, and that was mm -hmm. a joke. Because a lot of people were returning the tape and they were going, yeah, I won't be waiting for that anytime soon. I really don't care. But Tim said, I, you know, I think we could do this. Why don't, he said, uh, Tim said he would do one. I would do one. And, ah, oh, man, not Joe Sherlock, but, um, oh, he's going to kill me. Oh, another filmmaker that took the third story. Man, if you're out there, I apologize. I cannot remember. Um. But he uh, John Bowker. Bowker, yes, John. I'm so sorry, man. Uh, John did a short. You were close oh, because he works with Joe, uh, uh, worked with Joe Sherlock a lot. So. Yeah, yeah. It was it's really those two top guys. I always remembered that we're always doing stuff. Sherlock and Bowker. <laughs> and uh, Bowker had a script for um, one of his movies. He had uh, he had a role for me in it, and um, but it just didn't come to uh, fruition. But um, yeah, with that, we uh, Tim said, I said, well, I'm going to do, um, what, uh, not, to, yeah, because I remember we were thinking of putting time for dessert on that. We might, we did those back to back. <laughs> I remember that. I remember that now. We did uh, uh, practicing for the part, okay. and I think we did that. Might have been before. I know we did it in the same weekend. Uh, within three, four days. Mm -hmm. And, um, yeah, that was practicing for the part. And that was a lot of fun to do because that was a story I wrote about an actor being released from a mental institution by the, his two doctors. And the first thing he does, and he's supposed to stay away from, like, you know, crazy stuff because he just got released. The two doctors release him. First thing he does is go into, he sees, he goes, oh, he could be an actor. He wants to be an actor like Clint Eastwood. So he goes in to the hotel where they're auditioning. And I, I pretty much, when I, I stayed up here, I took the hotel over. It was like, it was like, oh, here comes the guy. And I was always slipping all my movie equipment by, thinking I was being slick, using the whole hotel. And yeah. one day the, the manager came up to me. She goes, how's your movie going? And I go, movie? What are you talking about? She goes, we're smarter than that. We've seen all your equipment. We see you in the hallways and the elevators. We've got you on monitors. So they knew I was making this movie the whole time. Mm -hmm. but they, they were getting their, their room rates, so what do they care? And then I rented out the, uh, uh, the the bottom room where we could where we showed the movie. But anyway, he goes in, he auditions for the movie, and, they, and the directors are Mark Nash and Kevin Bangos, and they're telling my character, you got to be scary, crazy, you know, you know, go out and practice being this psychopath. Well, that's what he he's a psychopath that's in the institute. He got put in the institution because he's a psycho, and they made him normal. They released him. He goes, um, auditions for a horror movie, and they tell him to go out and practice being a psycho. So he goes out, and he's scaring hookers on the street, and people in their backyard, chasing people around. And every time he scares somebody, he pulls his mask off, and he goes, just practicing for the part! <laughs> and that goes on and on and on, until the last person, 
he's got the girl on the bed and he's strangling her. And he goes, I'm just practicing for the part. And he whips the knife out and stabs it through her and just stabs her and stabs her. And then he's sitting in his living room and you hear he's watching TV and the guy on TV is Tim, Tim Ritter. And he, and he goes, in today's news, Sunnyville Psycho or whatever it was, was released from the Sunnyville Mental Institution because we always go back to Sunnyville in a lot of the movies. And um, then he, then my character goes back to meet the, the three directors. And uh, it's Kevin Bangos, Mark Nash, and oh, I forget his name, too. Um, but he's there. And my character comes in, and, and he's like, one of them's like, what is this guy? And they go, wait, he's really good. And I start walking around the room going, I'm going to kill all of you. <laughs> and the director's whipping through the script, and he goes, I, I don't see that anywhere, man. And all of a sudden, I jump over the table, I pull the knife out, and I stab all three of them. And I look right at the camera and go, well, do I get the part or what? <laughs> so, to me, that was my kind of thing. I thought that was cool. It was a fun little thing. Of, oh, and the, the whole the whole twist was, it goes back to the, after I say, do I get the part or what, it cuts out. And it, it's like a freeze frame, and it goes back to the hospital. Or it might be in the beginning after I leave. I think it's at the end. Another doctor comes into the two doctors, which is played by Gustavo Perez again, and and my, and my wife now, Kathy Weinkoop. Mm -hmm. Another doctor comes in. He goes, "What are you two doing in here?" And and they go, "Well, he made me come in here and do it." <laughs> and so what it was was they were patients, and they released a psychopath into the world. <laughs> I don't know. I thought it was kind of a cool story. So, um, yeah. So that was in, in Twisted Illusion. And I know that got a lot because I remember it being when I went to Netflix. And I was still working Crystal Water then. And I remember walking into one of my stops. I got two bottles of water, 50 gallon, you know, uh, bottles of water on my shoulder. And I, I'm walking in. I get the door and I whip the door open. And I come in two bottles of water. And I'm going, got one, going by one of the guy's office. It was like a realtor. And he yells at me, just practice it for the part! And I go, oh, you seen that? He goes, yeah, man, I got it on Netflix. <laughs> and so... Oh, wow. Yeah, that was my first taste of, like, Netflix was picking up stuff. Like, they picked up Dirty Cop, and they picked up Twisted Illusion, and a bunch of our stuff. When they just used to... There was no streaming. It was mailing out, you know, discs. And, um... But, yeah, that was... To me, that's still one of my favorites. If I look back at it, it's a, I think it's a cool little short... Uh, the one big thing I got told from different people are, oh, it's a little long, and I can look at it and relate, you know, look at my stuff and, you know, be just as critical and go, yeah, it probably ran a little long, but it gets a point across, and I think it's entertaining, and, and all of them were, like, 30 minutes. I think John's was 30, and John had a cool story about mm -hmm. the dead coming back, and, of course, Tim's was awesome because it was about a guy tracking down this lady that didn't return a videotape. So we kind of all had that same kind of humor going. So, yeah, it was a lot of fun making it. And Tim, I wasn't editing that. Tim, Tim um, I sent him all the footage, and he put it all together. And then, of course, I uh, got it released through Stavrosa Studios. Right, and then your next your next your your follow up to that was uh was a fe was a, a fe of feature was a feature, uh settle of just you uh, as director, uh with with Gustavo Perez and uh, your wife called the Bite. Yeah, that um that was in tell me if I'm right two thousand six, uh two thousand five five, um I remember Tim told me I was doing a lot of shorts and I hadn't done a lot of you know, features since Tim and I got, you know, split up by him moving. And then I eventually moved out to Tampa. 
Um, Tim told me, he goes, man, he goes, you're doing a lot of these shorts, but people are going to forget about you. you. You need to make a, you need to make a feature movie. And I was like, mm -hmm. oh, maybe he's right. Well, Phil Herman sent me a little, I think it was a, either a one or a three page synopsis. And he goes, I want you to do this for my movie, Always Midnight. And it just said something, I think it was a one page actually, because I think it said like, a man walks down the street littered with garbage, houses and buildings all vacant. Mm -hmm. And then it was like the next one. Then he's with his girlfriend on a picnic and he hears there's vampires. And then they run home and are attacked by a vampire and killed. And as I was looking at it, I go, I could shoot this. But there's there's so much more to this short. It could be a movie. And so I added to it. All of a sudden, the guy had a name, Nick Hazard. Then I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do that. It's the, you know, it's post-apocalyptic. And then... And then I was writing it, and pretty soon I had a 90-page script. I think it was 60 pages, and I added an additional towards the end. Okay. Um, mm -hmm. But, yeah, put that all together. And the same thing, I took out my index cards. I put It took us eight days to shoot it and put out. The only thing that stopped us, a hurricane came right in the middle of it and shut Ooh. shut me down for one. Yeah, because the, the lake where we lived all rose up over the dock. It was, like, coming up into the parking lots. I was like, wow. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that was the bite. And I called up Gus at the time. I go, you want to you know, play a part in this? He was like, yeah. And then Karen Graves, I got her in it. And um, Kathy was in it as playing my character's wife. And uh, yeah, I just got a, a bunch of people in it. I was a vampire hunter. In fact, what's interesting, in my movie, uh, The Craigalon Incident, Part 3, you're going to see mm -hmm. Nick, ha Nick Hazard comes back. So you see Nick Hazard, Dan Hess. Um, pretty much uh, seven of my characters that I've played in different movies will be in the Craigalon Incident 3. Uh, so I hope people enjoy that. I hope, you know, I hope they're like, oh, that's, that's, that's the, that's Dan Hess from Truth the Day, or that's Cope Ransom from the Alien Agenda. And, um, but yeah, then, then we did the bite, and, uh, I think Chris Conklin was editing it. I went over to his, uh, house when he was editing it. And I remember at one point I said, because him and his girlfriend were kind of getting it on on the cut. Not getting it, getting it on, but just kissing and happy and shit. And I go, can I play with this a little? And he's like, yeah. So I was kind of picking up editing a little from him. But eventually I, ta I taught myself how to edit. Um, but uh, yeah, then we got uh, the bite edited. Uh, Chris made a website. And then uh, I think the same thing. I think, trying to remember, I think we went around to stores. And sold that too because Chris put it on DVD, and that was 2005. When we shot it probably six when it came out. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it was only on DVD then. Um, I think we had a website, and I think there were still some stores around that you know weren't completely gone that were buying it, and then a lot of people were. And I can't remember if Facebook was around then, but then I just also was starting to sell it myself. Chris was mm -hmm. selling it, and I was selling it. So, well, I know yeah. I bought. I know I bought my copy for, uh, uh, from you specifically. So, <laughs> oh, cool. But did you um, get the I got it to you through the mail, I guess. So how did how did we do that? Did you just see I, it on? I uh, I ended up buying it through your eBay, um, uh, your eBay uh, 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 store. Yeah. Oh, okay. See, I don't even remember that. I, I must have had it up there at one point. <laughs> I put one up. I don't. I don't use their option like twenty in stock. I just put one up, and then mm -hmm. once somebody buys it, it's gone. And then I got to remember. Oh, you got to put it back up again. Or I think Craiglon incident. I put uh, ten in stock or something. 
on okay. uh, for for my overseas stuff. Definitely. But um, did you use any actors from your previous productions in uh, the bite at any given point in time? I, yeah, uh, I do see you work with Gustavo Perez once again. Um, yeah, I, Gus was really honestly, Gus Gustavo Perez was my main guy from way back when I came over here. Him and I became very close, very good best friends, and I got Gustavo in Twisted Illusions too. Um, we had already done Twisted Illusions, Lost Faith, Killing Spree. Those were all done. Truth That Air was done. Wicked Games was done before I came over. Creep was done. It was when I moved over here. So just before 2002, uh, or, I, I, I think it was almost to 2006 before we did something, except for the Twisted Illusions. Yeah, that's where I met Gus, and I put him in. And was it was it filmed in West? Uh, was it filmed in West Point, Florida, at this point in time? No, in um, uh, before I die, and time for dessert were shot in Brandon, Florida. Okay. Mm -hmm. and, yeah, I, I I used Gus in a lot of my movies. He was in The Bite, Twisted Illusions too, uh, and I think we did. You'd have to. That's I can't even remember all the shit I've done. So you got to remind me. <laughs> but I, I used him in a lot of my stuff. And then just one day, we were out with a friend, a mutual friend that knows him, knows me. And when I went to back into the store to use the restroom, I came back out. And then he had told my wife some stuff that he'd been talking behind my back. And I go, why? I'm, I like the guy. We're friends. And uh, that's just what started, broke up a very good relationship. Because people kept writing me on Facebook and calling me on the phone. And they'd say, dude, this guy's really saying some shit about you. One director, I was working on a movie, and he said, he told the other director, because the director said Joel Weinkoop's on his way, and the other director goes, well, you got him working for you. He's an asshole. And the other director goes, are you kidding me? He's the nicest guy in the world. Who said that? And he goes, well, Gustavo Press said he's a big asshole. He goes, Gustavo Press hates him and says every, and just all kinds of shit that he has said about me. So... I, I tried to do the olive branch, like Captain Kirk with the Klingons. I would uh -huh. go to him and I'd go, dude, why are you saying these things? I, we're, we're buddies. And uh, he would say, I'm, I'm sorry. I apologize. I'll never say it again. And then it'll be two weeks later, someone called me and go, dude, this is what he... And they'd send me their Facebook posts where he's running me down. I have a file of them all in case it ever came to slander and I want to take him to court. Which I probably won't, but I've got all this stuff from him. So I'd file it away. And even then, you know, to the last, the last possible minute of extending your arm, and some people just don't want it. I said, you know, I even saw him as recent as less than a year ago at a convention. And I go, hey, man, I don't know what the problem is. We've gone back and forth with this. But I would have used you in every single thing I've ever had. And his response, instead of just saying, oh, thanks, it didn't work. It was just like, well, you don't want to be in too many... B movies, and I don't want to do B movies anymore. And I'm like, that, that's fine, but I don't know what I ever did to you because I was always nice to you. And that's where I told Anthony Wayne, who is an actor, he came along. I met him. Oh, I met him when I was doing a movie called Dark Dimensions. But then I was working with him. But once I lost Gus and I knew we weren't friends anymore, I grabbed Anthony from a television show, The Other Side. And that was my TV show. It got on the air. It was on the air for over a year and a half, you know, in repeats. Mm -hmm. 
with along with my my TV show, the Joel Wycoop show. But then Anthony became my regular actor, and I'd always try and reach out to Gus, but it was just he always would shut me down. Like he didn't want nothing to do with me, you know. And then I would hear from other people, you know, I, I embezzled two million dollars from him, and I have a Swiss a bank account in Switzerland with billions of dollars in it, and I'm like, I I don't know. I don't know why you're saying this stuff, man. I don't know why. So it was sad because I like the guy and I'd love to work with him again. But you don't want to work with somebody that's always going to run you down. No. You know, you do something with somebody, then they go behind their back and go, yeah, he sucks. He's an asshole. You, you well, want to do something. Asshole, why are you working with him? You want to do something with someone who uh, wants to do the same thing that you do and has the same goal in mind, you know? So and The funny thing is, he did. I was in his movie. Uh, Light of Blood and Angora when we we were friends then, and so then, that, uh, was, that, uh, that was his movie, uh, Light of Blood. Light of Blood, the werewolf movie, is his. He wrote that. Uh, it was released through Cult Movie Mania. Picked it up, and Angora we shot the whole thing. But uh, I know I have a copy of it, um, and I even went to him and I said, "Look, Gus, if we could just get beyond you hating me, why don't we release this movie?" You know, I got it. I can package mm-hmm. it, and I'll do you just like a distributor. You get a percentage. Uh, you'll get, you know, because uh, you get the credit for writing it and everything. But I've got to spend money packaging it, so it's not like I'm going to do it and not get anything out of it. But he he, he turned me down. He goes, no, I, I I don't want it. And then another distributor, and then he just said, no, people will steal it. And I'm like, you, you got to get your work out there, you know? Mm-hmm. And... Uh, so I don't know. So it's kind of it is what it is, I guess. You know. I I do see though that it did that did, that the movie did win two Crystal Crystal Real Awards. Yeah, it won one Crystal Real Award. That's right. Um, yeah, I got it somewhere. You know, the sad thing about that is the damn thing fell off my wall one day, oh. shattered. But it's still up on the wall. But yeah, mm-hmm. that was 2006 Crystal Real Award. I think it was. The, I think it equaled like a third place. But yeah. It was pretty neat to be there with all these uh, other actors and filmmakers, and it was something pretty cool, you know, to be there and uh, and win that award. So it was pretty cool. Okay, um, and ultimately, after the bite, you went on to be part of the Midnight Trilogy. Yeah, that's yeah. I started to say that about Phil sent me that thing to do Always Midnight, and I called him up and I go, Phil. Stroll. And he's like, hey, man, because Phil and I became awesome, close friends back in 95 or 96 when Creep came out in Fangoria magazine. That just opened up a whole new world for Tim and I. And one of the, and, and also independent video, because I read about Phil in there, and then Phil read about me in there and Fangoria. And then we became fast friends like in 96. So Phil and I are, are and that's how we did Horror Tales.666 Part 2 together. Mm-hmm. Um, and Phil and I did a bunch of them. Jacker 2, Jacker. Um, and then Phil's been in my movies. And I'm in Phil's movies. And um, so, yeah, the always... When that came up, I told Phil... I go, I, I kind of made your... And I gave, I gave him full credit in the movie. I go, I kind of made your short into a feature. And he goes, oh, that's cool. But what about for always... Or it was supposed to be... For around midnight, so I missed that. And I go, I promise you, I'll write a short for Always Midnight, and that was Kill Her Arnold, and that was in Always Midnight. But I turned his little synopsis into a full-page script and released that as the bite. 
Okay. Um, and uh, how was uh, has the reception, the, how was the reception of uh, Always Midnight uh, as a trilogy? Did it, get, did it get any reception at all? Or that I think, and that was mostly that's more of a Phil question because everything was going through you know Phil Herman the sales okay. and stuff. But um, I think it went really well. I seen a lot of people that were purchasing it, talking about it because it was like you said the, the uh, Midnight trilogy. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, cause, and then I saw, of course, Phil's post, and I, I think Wave had it for a while, but I'm not positive. Okay. And, uh, but I always saw that the reception was really good with those. Okay. Um, after after mid- uh, Midnight, then you got into uh, a, a couple of short films um, uh, called Survivor of Remick and Not of This World, correct? Yes, Survivors of Remick and um, Not of This World. Well, you guys are killing me. What's his name? Oh, man. What is his name? <laughs> it's uh, oh, actor, the, act, the actor's name, correct? No, the, no. the uh, producer, producer of it is... Um, oh, don't be oh. watching this. Producer <laughs> is... Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. He wrote uh, the whole series. Ah. Uh, he wrote I'm the whole series. It was a comic book before John Martin. John Martin, okay. I think. Anyway, he contacted me because he used to be in the horror world, but then he moved over into Christian-based films, and he wrote me, and he goes, I want you to do a story. I've got a story here I think you'd like. It's called Survivor's Remick. It's about outer space. And I go, oh, sold, Captain Kirk. There we go. That's me. I'm sorry. <laughs> it's going to be called The Enterprise. He goes, no, it's not. <laughs> and he, he sent me the script, and the first thing I added was that Anthony Wayne, my buddy, that became really good friends with that I always put in my movies. I I I, I, t- I told my wife Kathy, I said, "Who do you think should play this part?" And I, I said the, the character's name, and she goes, "Anthony, all the way. That's Anthony. He was my mm-hmm. uh, Scotty." Okay. And uh, so I got him, and mm-hmm. and my idea was to do what Gene Roddenberry was. He had he said he had a melting pot. He had white people, black people. He had a, a Russian guy. He had um, an Asian. Uh, yeah, it's a Sulu, uh, Nichelle Nichols. Um, everybody wanted, and that's what he said. He goes, "I had a melting pot on the bridge of the Enterprise because that's the way he saw the future. No, no racism, anything like that. everybody getting along." So I said, "You know what? I'm going to take a thing from Roddenberry because I'm a fan of Star Trek." I said, "I want to do that." So one of my actresses, she told me, she goes. I can do a like a British accent. I go boom, do that for me. So she did, and then I had uh, Jackie. Um, uh, uh, it's not Amos. Oh, God, I'm terrible with names. Ja- Jackie, he was in it. And he was a black guy. So I had Jackie. Then I had um, Ed, who's a, a black guy. Then I had, then I had Kathy, uh, a white girl, and um, mm-hmm. uh, who else was in it? Um, you can probably tell me better if you got it there, but everybody that was in it, that's what I was going for. Oh, and Bridget was in it. And uh, we had uh, our cast reading. The guy let me use the, um, uh, it's a place here in Tampa. It's haunted. And we shot the whole movie there. And we saw all kinds of stuff, too. One day we went in there with all the equipment. It had just all been charged to its highest peak. Um, what's that place called? <laughs> oh, the Cuban Club. No. The Cuban Club. And um, 
Yeah, it was haunted. And we took all our, uh, well, first of all, we had all our um, our auditions. Not mm-hmm. our auditions. I already picked my people, but our read-through, our cast read-through. So we read through it and read through it and read through it until everybody got comfortable with it. And, and, and there's your faith-based thing, too, is this girl came and, and Bridget, and she had something wrong with her back. She had hurt it really bad. I was going to have to have surgery. And I said, we're going to pray about that. And then the next time, and we did, and the next time she came back, she goes, oh, God, Joel and Kathy, and I had a car accident. And I'm going, oh, my God, Bridget, what's happened? Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then it was back. Yeah, I've got to go in for surgery. They're going to cut me open, and they got to, like, put staples in your spinal cord. And I we're going to pray about that again. And uh, mm-hmm. we did. The next time I saw her, she showed up. She, she went back to the doctor. The doctor said, you don't need surgery. We're going to do this uh, physical therapy. He goes, we don't need to go back in there. This has somehow corrected itself. And I've seen it happen so many times with back operations that mm-hmm. people I prayed for. But anyway, that was one of the things. But we showed up there this one particular morning in the bottom of the Cuban club. And I was going to shoot there because I had the whole run of the building that day. All our stuff was on the bar. This is cameras, you know, the, the battery packs, our mic things. Because I brought other people in with all this other stuff they could help me with. Mm-hmm. All downstairs. Then we went up to the third floor i think we shot there in the second floor and as i'm coming down my wife had got ahead of me she's coming up she goes you don't want to see what's down there and i got down there and they rented out the room and there's people having a party and all our equipment's there i'm like oh my you know everybody was cool they never touched it but when we had first got in there all our stuff was on the on the counter and when we went to use it um every every the battery all the juice was gone from everything so we had to uh plug in and and i had to shoot everything off electric because my batteries had all been drained and people were seeing there was a a white lady spirit up in the window and then the worst part was we were cleaning up that night and we were all up on the third floor and every floor is haunted the bottom one was Mm. an actor hung himself back there i think and another guy on the second floor with like a mob or something connected got in there and mm-hmm. they shot him to death in there and buried him back there so no one would find out. And yeah. I even went back there when the guy was giving us a tour and I got in there and I go, oh, that's as far as I'm going. Because you could feel something in your face almost telling you you don't want to come back here. And I was like, that's good enough for me. And where my wife and Ed had to go was backstage. And she said it was the creepiest thing. She goes, we, couldn't, we were like waiting for you to call action because both of us were just, we couldn't stand this back there. We, we wanted to get out. But on the third floor, Ken Anthony, another friend of mine, I met him at a convention in, I think, 2000. And I put him in Survivor's Zeremic. It's the first thing he, the guy ever did. Mm-hmm. He said, you know, he's doing his con- he's trying to, he's doing comic book and art. And he goes, oh, I'd love to be in a movie. And I go, I'll, I'll put you in a movie. And he goes, oh, Joel, thanks. So I put him in the movie as one of the survivors. Well, he stayed with us all day, even though he could have went home. Him, Kathy, and another guy were up on the third floor loading up all the, you know, I had boxes of clothes and lighting gear and all this stuff. And I was downstairs doing something. They're putting it in the elevator. And as they're standing there by the elevator, something went like that. And Kathy and Ken, I guess Kathy said Ken's eyes went bug out. And Kathy's eyes and the other guy, and they all looked back in the corner. And, and Ken was like, let's get the hell out of here. And Kathy's like, yeah, I'm glad you got... And they loaded up the other... It was almost like we had been there all day taking up that time and something was in there letting us know, get out. Also, there was a orb 
and you'll see it if you watch the movie when Anthony is standing there, you'll see a blue orb appear on his face, and then it slowly floats away from him. And we always thought that was something there because there was no lights getting in from outside because we were on the third floor. We weren't on the first floor where the traffic was. So I sent that into paranormal caught on camera, but I guess it wasn't good enough for him. <laughs> but that, that was Survivor's Remit for John Martin. And then he sent me another script. He, can, can you do this one? And I got Krista Grady Saxon uh, to be in that with me, too. And um, my wife teases me. She goes, you just got Krista in there because you wanted to kiss her. And I go, Yeah. <laughs> So and, and so that was another little uh, a story about uh, a guy and a woman meeting up, and just as we're about to get in bed and have sex, we bump into the Bible, and it breaks the restraints. Like, and she's like, "What are we doing here?" And I go, oh, "God, I don't even know. I'm lost my mind. I'm, I'm cheating on my wife." And she's like, "I gotta go. I'll see you Monday at work." And she leaves, and I leave, and, and it was a nice story for this that not of the not not of this earth, and uh, which were were. To his comic book and everything so uh that was both of those that, that came out one uh the survivors of remick was in the first night of this world and um uh i think it's room 215 was in the other one okay um uh after those uh, two short films you got into the fall of an actor oh yeah um uh, what what exactly is that project about fall of an actor was also started in 1998 or 99. I was coming over here a lot to Tampa to see my buddy Garland Hewlett. In fact, this first time I came over, and don't be afraid to say fall of an actor again if I get off track, but I came over to Tampa the first time to work for Marcus Cook on his movie, Rot. And which is a funny story because the first three, four days I was helping him move furniture and move furniture out of rooms and buy furniture at thrift stores and shirts. And it was funny because yeah. um, we finally started the movie. And then I, I think it was the first time around Marcus was on the phone with his friend Garland. I didn't know Garland and Garland was saying he's working on his movie brain robbers from outer space. And Marcus told him, he goes, well, I'm working on rot. I got Joel Weinkoop over here from Fort Pierce. And Garland said, you got Joel Weinkoop, King of the Bee movies? And Marcus goes, and, and that's not me saying it. That's what alternative cinema is. And in fact, I don't think it was then. I think Garland just knew me from the Fangoria magazine. Because I don't mm -hmm. think that whole alternative cinema, King of the Bee movies thing come out yet. So he said, you got the guy from at least Creep. And Marcus told me, yeah, he goes, you think you can get him to come over here and do brain robbers? So Marcus mm -hmm. just covers up the phone and goes, Joel, you want to be in another, you go do this movie for this guy? I go, sure. So we're doing a lot. One night we went over and Marcus is setting up the graveyard. And then I'm doing a scene for Garland Hewlett and brain robbers from outer space. So <laughs> that takes us all the way full circle into Fall of an Actor. Because Garland's going, we should do something else. Oh, and th this is kind of interesting, too. The first thing we did was the people from Table 12. Uh, I also got another call from another guy in Tampa, St. Pete, and he wanted me to come over from Fort Pierce to appear. He was having this big luncheon. Uh, uh, God dang it, I can't remember his name either. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, Sal Ranella. I'm doing pretty okay. good for an old guy. Sal yeah. Ranella. And I went up on stage. He goes, he goes, you can make a little thing out of it. It'll be fun. Like, you're, you know, when you come up, you know, put on a little show and a... And I'm thinking, don't, don't, 
Don't tell me to put on a little show because I'm going to put on a big show. <laughs> so I went, I went up on stage when he was talking, and I go, and I pulled my wallet out, and I think I have my security badge in there from an old job. Mm -hmm. And I go, uh, Special Agent Maxwell from the uh, St. Pete uh, FBI Special. And everybody's like, whoa. And I go, this man is under arrest for tax evasion. And I grabbed Sal's hand. And his other hand, I put them together, and I pulled handcuffs out, and I was handcuffing him. And people were going, oh, I'm calling my lawyer! And they're opening their phones, they're going, stop, stop, what's going on? And, like, people <laughs> were panicking. And uh, Sal, Sal's whispering to me, he goes, okay, stop, stop, tell him it's a joke, tell him it's a joke, you're going too far. Mm -hmm. And I, so I stopped, took the handcuffs off, and I go, everybody, this is just a joke. I'm an actor from the East Coast, been invited over here to put on a little show for you. And they're all like, well, you fooled us! <laughs> And that's where I met David Vogel, and I told David Vogel the next day with Garland, we were planning to shoot something, and we all met at this restaurant, mm -hmm. and the restaurant let us shoot in there. After we ate, we just started making the movie, and then we said, we'll call it The People from Table 12, and that's where I met Dave Vogel, put him in my, my movie, and then I put Raymond Couto, who was in Brain Robbers, I put him in Table from People from Table 12, and then... Um, so put that together, and just kind of put it away. And then the next time back to Garland's, he was like, we should do kind of like a movie where you're the actor, kind of like the people from Table 12, but we'll expand on it, where you're the actor, Walter is your lawyer, Walter Maceda, and Gus is your um, publicist or something. And uh, so they just started shooting this movie kind of without me, and they had all these scenes talking about me, and they go, we got to get you over here. And then all of a sudden, we made this, but we made it, well, we shot all these scenes for it, put it that way. And it took almost 10 years for me to get the footage from Garland, asking him over, now, Garland, can I please have that footage? And he finally got it, and meanwhile, his son had footage. So, his son, well, before he had it, I took Fall of an Actor, and I cut it all together like a reality show. Okay. And I introduced it as, um, it was a show on MTV, The Real World. It was the first one that was ever done. And I put at the beginning, this was supposed to be like the real world. This is a true event. This really happened. Cameras were constantly on the on the, on the the people involved. This is a true story. And mm -hmm. it's pretty cool. And uh, that was the whole documentary part. Then Damon Hewlett, Garland's son, released the other version as a movie. So... They're really two separate entities. There's the fall of an actor is the movie, mm -hmm. and fall of an actor mm -hmm. is the documentary. And that's where I went to Joe Davison one day, who's in uh, Stranger Things, and he's done a bunch of stuff. I was in his movie A Hundred Tears. I was supposed to play Gertie, but and they offered me like three grand to do it, but I couldn't get out of work and I didn't want to quit my job, which is sad because right after mm -hmm. they shot Hundred Tears, I gave him my two week notice because I had a movie in Indiana in a movie in Iowa, and I had to make a decision. Do I want to keep chugging water, or do I want to take the acting serious? But, um, yeah, Fall of an Actor, uh, yeah, then I went to, uh, as I'm doing this, it took me 10 years, but I got all the footage, put it all together, and uh, I was over at Joe's house, and Joe's scene in Fall of an Actor is so funny, I got tears coming out of my eyes. when I'm just laughing at him. You know, so hard. It was. It's so to me. It's really close to my heart. I, I, I really enjoy Fall of an Actor. I really. Uh, I mean, yeah, making it, but I could put it in and watch it now, and it'll crack me up and, you know, make you laugh. Well, you David the Rock Nelson called me from Chicago, <laughs> and he goes, he said, uh, nice. and David the Rock Nelson's in it too. He goes, ah, ah, Joe, David the Rock. 
And I go, hey, Rock, what's up, man? Yeah, yeah, saw that movie, so you went to the mental institution, huh? And I go, what? He goes, at the, at the, at the end of the dock, you were in the mental institution. And I went, oh, he thinks this was real. And I go, yeah, I was in, I was in the mental institution. They had me. He goes, yeah, I saw you tied up in a straight track, and you were crazy. And I go, yeah, I got better. <laughs> and, and, I, and he topped it off with, and he, he, you shot yourself in the head. And I go, yeah, I got crazy with that gun. <laughs> and I, even when I was trying to, I was trying to build that whole thing up and make it look real, real for mm -hmm. a um, a thing here over in St. Pete. Uh, a film festival mm -hmm. and I wrote the whole thing about you know I pulled a gun in my head I pulled the trigger I shot myself I got incarcerated in the mental institution where I was halfway beat to death to make it so people my sister read it <laughs> called me and she goes Joe you better not have shot yourself with a gun and I go no no I, that was just some publicity that was probably the wrong angle to go <laughs> yeah. but yeah it was all all tied in with fall of an actor and if, if nobody's seen fallen actor I say get it. It's it's a documentary. It's funny. It's shot like it's all real. It looks pretty real. Um, and then, but see, fall the fall of an actor because it's shot like a movie. So it's got different scenes in it. You'll you watch fall of an actor. Some of the scenes you'll see, but in the fall of an actor, you don't see in fall of an actor. So it's two separate movies. <laughs> so uh, after that, you got involved in uh, a couple of short films. Uh, called Killer Arnold, uh, The Bronze Princess, and Andrea's Revenge. Why don't you tell us a little bit about those? I, um, what were those for? Uh, I thought those were for Always Midnight, but I don't think so. I think Always Midnight had the other ones, but The Bronze Princess, um, Phil sent me some footage with Nancy Feliciano, and, but... It wasn't coherent. It was just different shots of her. And I thought I can... Because I, I, I like to think I'm a master of taking a bunch of footage, kind of like Ed Wood, and then and saying, I can, I'll take that, 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 that. <laughs> and, you know, like Ed Wood, when in uh, in, uh, in the movie Ed Wood, uh, uh, he says, uh, he goes, Oh, the military was called in. And it's making all the buffalo excited. You know, <laughs> he put it in. <laughs> That's kind of what I do. I'll throw shit together like that and say... Oh, this, I'll put that in there and this in there and, and make it work. So, um, Bronze Princess. So I made that. I got my friend Warren. I said, you, Warren Madden, if you want to be in this movie, I'll put you in it. Because I trust you. I know you can act. And I know you can improv. Because I saw him do it in Brain Robbers from Outer Space. So I went over to buy where he lives. And we shot this whole thing about there was vampires in the woods. Kind of, again, shot like... Um, my character, I think his character was Cole, and I was this cameraman, and he was telling me how the vampires were loose in this weird world, and they were all trying to worship the bronze princess, and in the end, I remember he goes, oh, they're coming after us, and then we both ran, and the camera's running, and the camera crashed, it was kind of dumb, but but fun, probably the least liked if people would saw it and went, this is kind of dumb because it was just me pointing the camera at him talking and trying to make something out of the footage I had. And what else was on there? Uh, that would be um, Andrea's Revenge and Andrew, Andrea's um, Revenge was a friend Killer of mine. Killer Arnold and Killer Killer Arnold. Yeah, that was son of a bitch. Was it Always Midnight? I think that was for Always Midnight. 
Okay. Because we did a wraparound with Andrea, Andrea Dean Van Scoy, who's a, a, a well-known writer. She's done a whole bunch of books. Okay. And she contacted me one night, and she goes, Joel, would you make a movie of me, about me? And I said, yeah. So we set out, went over to her house. I wrote a little, because it's a short, wrote a little thing. Mm-hmm. And I thought it was morbid, because she was like, well, can we do it about me being dead? And I was like, ugh. I guess, if you want. So, she's laying on a table they had there, and then we put chairs in her house, and people coming in for her funeral. And they're all in there for the funeral, and Kathy, my wife, got up, and she would say a few words, oh, Andrews, I loved her, she was my friend, but now she's dead. It was really morbid. And then her husband got up, and he goes, oh, I love my wife, but she's dead, and he would kiss her goodbye, and I go, oh, God, this is so morbid. She's alive. And I think if you watch, I think you can see her chest rising because I didn't tell her to hold her breath. And then two other people. And then my character comes in. And I was basically doing Angus from the Tim Ritter's Creep. And I come in at the kind of the plaid shirt. And I'm like, eh, and I'm sitting in the back. And everybody's looking at me. And as I walk up past Kathy, I, I grab her breast. And she's like, oh, get away from me, creep. And then I grab the lady next to her and I kind of pinch her and she's like get away and then um, I'm hanging over Andrea's body and I'm going I'm glad you're dead you stinking bitch and then I grab the book her book is in her hand I think it was called Andrew and I'm trying to pull it but her hands pull it back and I pull it and her hands pull it back and everybody's going hey leave her alone and then I snatch the book out of her hands and I run out the door and I run around the corner and I think I think it was a point of view shot. Like the camera was there. I run to a fence. I turn around and the camera's looking me in the eye and it's supposed to be Andrea. And I'm going, I thought you were dead. I'm sorry. You can have your book back. And the neighbor's dog started going nuts. It was a German shepherd. I was going, and I'm going, I'm thinking in my brain, this is screwing everything up. And I go, wait a minute. No, it's not. So I go, you're a beast, Andrea. You bark at me. And then, um, Remember how it end? I you know what I can't remember how that ended, but that was Andrea's revenge. I did that for her, and she liked it. She loved it, and I thought it was decent. I thought it was pretty cool, and it got a release through Phil. I'm pretty sure that was for Always Midnight. And then, um, what was the last one? Oh, uh, uh, that, uh, that was Arnold. Yeah, that was, and that's got a lot of people in it that aren't here today anymore. But it uh, kind of like. Jerry Allen, when I was going to Florida Motion Picture and TV Association here in Tampa, which I'd done in West, West Palm Beach, too, I was going to all their meetings. I said, I'm going to shoot a scene. I'm going to bring my camera with me next week if anybody wants to do something. It was about six or seven. So one of them was Jerry Allen. Now, he worked on Batman, the television show. He worked on Dukes of Hazzard. Uh, he worked on some of the Bond movies. Um, Bonanza. Um, he was skinny as a rail, but he was, he was, um, Dan Blocker's stunt double. He had a big suit that he had to wear for, um, Dan Blocker. And he'd tell me all the stories, him and Dan Blocker, he poured water in his boots and Dan Blocker would chase, son of a bitch, and he would chase him around the set of Bonanza. Uh, he, he, he died. That was a while ago too, I think. But, um, so I got, he's in it. And then, um, I think there was a, a couple other people just from the, uh, Florida motion picture, the, uh, the higher ups and they were all in it. And it was about this guy that kept seeing people inside his head. He would always run around his apartment and go, the people in my head, the people in my head. <laughs> Cause they would, he would see them 
like appear, their heads would appear and they would talk to him, but it's all in his head. And um, I think Gus was in that too. He had a character name that was like, a, I think he was kind of leading them all. And finally, in the end, it looks like the guy is the one that's crazy. But when the doctor comes over, the guy that looks like he's crazy through the whole short, all mm -hmm. of a sudden you cut to, he opens the door and he goes, she's right over here, Doc. And then you go over and it's Kathy, all tied up in a blanket with a bunch of telephone cord around her. And she's going, the people are here, the people! <laughs> so it wasn't me that was crazy, it was her that was the nut job. So one of those kind of twist endings. Okay, moving forward, uh, you got into a project called a Diary of Blood. How did you get involved with that project? Diary of Blood. Oh, that's Joe Sherlock. This was funny. Joe contacted me, and he goes, he goes, hey Joel, I got a, um, he goes, I got a movie, a short, a story. It's three. <laughs> again, I can't help myself. He goes, it's three pages long. It's called Diary of Blood, and I go, cool. He goes, would you shoot it for me? And I go, yeah. So, he sends me the script, I print the three pages, and I look at it just like I did with the bite, and I go, there's so much more here than three pages. So, <laughs> I think I turned it into a 21-page script, because it was supposed to be a short. Yeah. And then, got, um, Kathy was the lead, that was going to be her kind of come-out role, so Kathy had the lead, then I had um, a, a very good friend of hers, uh, Red, and, I, and he had asked me, because, Joel, if you could ever, you know, would take a chance on me. I think I could be a good actor. So I made him be the police detective. He was freaking awesome. I brought my friend James Knowlton in that had worked for me on my television show, The Other Side. And um, I think I had uh, um, Ashley Lynn Caputo was in it. Bob Glazier was in it. Okay. Some of the interesting stories, too, about how actors help each other. When I was on a shoot in... Um, uh, Sarasota, I was doing a movie called Demon, and I heard the director and the producer talking, they're like, the guy just screwed us. And I go, mm -hmm. I don't want to get in, you know, your story, but what happened? They go, the actor that was supposed to play the corner just decided he needed more money, and he's not coming unless he gets it. And screw him, we're not paying him, but we don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. I go, a corner? I go, I'll get your corner in 20 minutes. I open my phone up, I call Bob. I go, Bob, it's Joel. I go, can you come to Sarasota? Yeah. I go, come right now, I got your part in the movie. And I showed the director, I go, There's, that's what he looks like. He goes, yeah, it's home to come. And I go, you're going to pay him, right? And I go, uh, I go, you got to pay him. Okay, we'll pay him. <laughs> so Bob came over, and Dave Vogel, he got me a part in the movie, um, uh, God, I can't remember that either. Um, it was named something, and it got in a big, big argument with another movie. There was a tank. And Matt Damon was in it, and they both had the same movie, and they had to change their title to Crazed. It was called Crazed. Okay. Uh, before that, it was called the the uh, Fury. But anyway, that's how actors help each other. They you know reach out and they'll get them jobs, and that's why I got mm -hmm. my job. And then I remember Bob, I get him jobs, and Dave Vogel, and then he's working for me. So now we're on Diarrhea of Blood. So we're over at this guy's house. I I, I think I paid him some money to have his house, and this is the first one I, without Tim. Where I said, I gotta start paying people. So mm -hmm. I pulled everybody, I go, hey, Ashley, come with me. And we go around a corner and I'd pay her. And then I'd, she'd leave and I go, James, come in here. And I'd take him around the corner, I'd pay him. I paid my wife. I paid everybody on the set. Not, mm -hmm. not a lot, but some is better than nothing. And mm -hmm. then we shot, shot the whole movie and um, brought the tapes home, sent them to Joe. 
I go, Joel, it's all done. Here's the movie. And I did one scene with Ashley at the end where she takes her top off, and she's <laughs> she's all there. And I do remember him telling me, oh, I was going to take that footage and release it inside. I go, no, no, that's <laughs> I guess it's yours, but that no, make the movie. Don't just release some, some boobs. <laughs> uh, so occasionally I'd, I'd, I'd uh, and, and but in the meantime, I taught myself how to edit and, um, you know, how to, you know, get the footage in the computer and all that. So I did that in like 2000, I think, or 2001, 2002, because I was shooting stuff at a convention and I went home and taught myself how to edit. So, now Diary of Blood, I said it to Joe Sherlock. Joe, you gotta let me tell this story, buddy, because sometimes shit happens. So, I send the footage to Joe. So, every two, three months, I check with Joe. I call him up. I go, Joe, it's Joel. How's it going? Pretty good, man. I go, how's, uh, how's Diary of Blood coming? I'm anxious to see it come out in your, your trilogy. Because he was going to release a trilogy of terror or something. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes, yeah, I'm still working on it. Like, okay, cool, I understand. So, it goes to four, five months i call him i go joe what's going on with the movie yeah i'm still working on it. anyway six months eight months finally a whole an entire year has gone by joe i love you man you gotta laugh with me buddy because i know you got busy <laughs> joe how's it going with the movie when's it coming out i gotta be honest with you i go what it's still sitting on top of my fireplace i haven't even looked at the footage i go joe Send that back to me. I'll send you $200. I own the rights now. Send that footage back to me. And he goes, I'm sorry. I go, no, don't worry about it. Just get it back to me. I want to get it out. So I paid him $200. God, because that was the footage. He had already paid for the tape, so I'm buying that back. But I said, I'm including that as, that's it's my movie now. Now it's my movie. But I still put Joe Sherlock and Joel Weinkoop's Diary of Blood. Anyway, so I get the footage back, man. I downloaded that three days later. The movie was done and put it aside. And it, it didn't come out until I, I had three other stories. And that's why it got released in a DVD called The Wine Coop Tales. Because there's four okay. short stories. Diary of Blood was one of them. Okay. Uh, which uh, I just so happen to have right here. <laughs> hey, that's it from, yeah, Chris Woods released that through the sleaze box. Yep. Actually, I released it first in a red cover, and I sold a lot of them, and then Chris approached me. He goes, look, he goes, um, I want you to sign a deal with me for for Wine Coop Tales. And he goes, and then I'll, I'll make a new cover, and I'll sell it, and you'll make money after I make my money back, which I know it, they all work like that. That's fine, because, you, you know, you can't expect somebody to put up $900 or whatever it might be, and then it's not like you're going to just transfer the night. No, the guy's got to make all his money back before you start making money. So, yeah, and then it was released through uh, Chris, and that is Diary of Blood. Um, what else is on the cover? Diary of Blood, Psychos or Us? Or Us, uh, Dead End, and Tainted Dead Love. End. And Tainted Love. And Tainted Love is something I did for John Miller. He just wanted, he just had got started making movies, and he asked me, because you and Kathy come over, he goes, Chris is not around, I'm just, this is what Chris yeah, and John Yeah, Gunbanks director, correct? Yeah, and Chris and John were working together then, but he wanted to do something on his own. I think Chris was busy, so I went over there, because I remember John telling me, he goes, quit stamping on my neighbors downstairs are going to get mad at me, and I'm like, oh, sorry, because <laughs> I get carried away. Anyway, and John wanted to go one way with it. It was more nasty than I. I was pretty nasty already, saying, "You bet you, you bet you, you know you, you don't do anything." I'm trying to get a job, but his was really, you know, you slutty whore from the shit of the toy, you know. And I was like, "I don't want to do that," <laughs> but we, we did it, and um, 
I think it had a different name, and it played at a kind of at a uh, of all places. These guys uh, put on a little thing called Joel Wine Coop Day. Uh, they used to have these at the Tampa uh, Picture Show, but this guy did it at his own coffee shop that he owned, and he, he said, "Hey, it's Joel Wine Coop Day. Everybody come," which was really neat because I walked in the door. Greg Lasar, who really liked a lot of my stuff. He goes, everybody, Joe Watkins here. And all these people were applauding, kind of embarrassing, but cool at the same time. But that played there. And I remember another guy, uh, uh, Mitchell, coming to me and saying, man, I thought my story was dark. Yours is really dark. Because I ended up selling the wife to a big convict, which is Ken Anthony, mm -hmm. at the end of that. But that was in there. And then Dead End, which also played at a, um, I think, an action film festival where everybody put their action movies. And so I put that in there, and then the other short. I, I, four kind of neat little action horror-based shorts, and I put them all into that Wine Coop Tales. Okay. And uh, uh, how, was, was one. how was the reception then of this uh, particular uh, DVD? Well, I remember one played at, the Dead End played at the Action Film Challenge. And I do remember... When it was at its height of the story, my character said, we're going to the bloody woods and we're getting my daughter back. And the guy, Anthony Wayne again, which I put on all my stuff, and he's in the Craigline incident too. He goes, okay, dad. And everybody cheered because I think I got so worked up in the scene. I go, we're going to the bloody woods without the police and we're getting my daughter back or whatever her name was. And everybody was like cheering, like "Hey!" So they liked that. But then also, there was one guy going, "The park, that's the same place you shot the other scene." And I'm like, oh, "I told myself when I was doing it, I go, this is a mistake. Someone's gonna say they're gonna recognize this scene here in the park, and this scene where we're shooting for the entrance of the. It didn't matter. It could have been the same place, but it just kind of pissed me off that this the guy doesn't take in any effort of." The story, the acting, or whatever like that. He just goes, that scene's the same as that scene. <laughs> but it, it's, I thought it was a cool little story because it was about these devil worshippers. And me, and I wanted to do something like Supernatural, like the TV show with the brothers. But I was going to do the dad and the son. Everybody kind of laughed at that, I think, because they said there's no way I could be the dad to what Kathy <laughs> looks like and what Anthony looks like. <laughs> that's the part of losing yourself, you know, in a movie. So, on the on the big screen, it was taken well. And then on the White Coop Tales, you know, a lot of people saw it, and they, and they really enjoyed As a whole, they enjoyed the whole thing. Um, okay. But I've, I've had people point out where they go, oh, I like that one where you're in the woods, and, and you know, Bob Glazer's in it, Jules Sierra's in it, and they're all trying to kill your wife, and she's chained to a tree, and, and the, the bad killer's coming up and yelling at her and threatening to kill her. and So, yeah, and they all got a little, a good mixture of that where everybody, you know, really seem to enjoy all the stories. So ultimately, uh, a little bit la later, that's, uh, that's when pandemic happened. And then, uh, 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 so you decided that, uh, uh, that COVID-19 wasn't going to stop you no from making films. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Correct? My, uh, when that hit, first of all, we heard, it's funny because I saw a movie after that where these two girls were in a car and they're driving She's going, oh, mom, listen on the radio over in the other country. They're killing each other and they're going crazy and there's some kind of worldwide pandemic. And then as she's driving her car and she's in the States, 
somebody runs and jumps on the hood of her car and then people are stabbing each other and they're trying to break it it quickly came in the movie and i went oh my god that's what's happening right now is in that movie and except for you know we didn't have people jumping on our cars and smashing two women but i was like oh my god what if that happened but anyway so it got here and it was on television they're going stay at your home don't go anywhere you know blah 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 so I took it all like, I can't even go outside my door. So I told my wife, I go, what? They mean I can't go anywhere and do anything? She goes, no, honey. They mean you can go to the store and come home, but they don't want you going downtown and hanging out. And in your case, shooting a movie. And I go, well, no one's going to tell me I got to stay inside. I got to go outside and shoot a movie. So I stepped out on the porch. I took my camera and I took her and I go, just, yep, that's it. I go, shoot me. Talk, I'm going to talk to the camera. So I went, you humans, we will destroy you because all you people of Earth are stupid, 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 stupid. Because <laughs> I said, I'm going to do an homage to Plan 9. And then I, I said, now stand here and I'll do myself talking to myself as the human. And I go, <laughs> you tricky alien, what do you want? And then she flipped the camera because I was doing it right in my head. I had to keep flipping the camera. I couldn't do it like do all my stuff because I didn't know what I was going to say. And then I did that little bit and I was done. I made a little movie, and I watched it, and I go, this is kind of cool. And then I edited it, and I go, this is kind of stupid, but kind of funny. And then I called Phil, and I go, Phil, you want to do something for this stupid, funny, dumbass movie I'm doing? It's going to amount to absolutely nothing, but it'll be fun for you. All right, man. So he goes out, ducks the cops, sneaks into a park, shoots all these scenes for him. Oh, no. We had all the phone calls first, the, the silly phone calls. And then I go... I'll get Sean C. Phillips and see if he wants to do something. He's the like, <laughs> I couldn't get Sean to go out of his house, though, to do anything. Everything had to be done in his house or just outside the house. But I made it work. I go, just, you're talking on the phone to us. So he did his stuff. So we got a silly little thing. I cut it all together. And I go, what if I added aliens to the now? Real alien. I got that alien mask. Let me do that. And then, <laughs> oh, I got this thing that looks like a laser gun. I wonder if Phil wants to go out in the woods. And that's where he... The cops weren't looking. He ducked under the police line. He went out to the, <laughs> this place that's condemned, and he shot all the scenes. And he, when he, he said when he came out, they caught him. Like, don't, don't ever do that again. He goes, I'm sorry, but my buddy Joel Wankup needs this. He goes, we don't care about your buddy. Don't, don't ever do that again. <laughs> and, and Phil's like, okay, sorry. So he got to be all this great footage. And then Sean did his footage in his house. But I said, well, can you? Can you go outside? But he was really scared because he didn't want to have the gun. Because I sent him the gun to San, to San Diego. And, but he was afraid of getting busted by the police. And he didn't want to go mm -hmm. anywhere. And then, of course, COVID and everything. He's worried about that, which mm -hmm. I sympathized. But I got him to shoot his scenes in the backyard. And then I mucked it up with special effects to kind of cover it. And then I'm looking at that footage. And then I'm like, oh, i got to get Debbie Rashawn in this. And Kathy will be in it. And Rick Danford will be in it. And all these other actors that have been in movies. Warren, Warren Madden, I'll put him in it. And then I built this whole thing I called the World Conference. And before you knew it, I go, God, i got a two-hour movie here. That was like seven minutes outside my my house on the front porch. And I go, mm -hmm. I, and, then, and then I was making up the names. Like, Where are the Craiglons? And I'm like... Oh, that's cool. And he had the Craigland incident. I went to the post office one night. It's 3 o'clock. My wife was going to kill me. She came. We went to the post office at 3 o'clock in the morning. I go, they leave their doors open at night. I'm going to go in and shoot in the movie. So I went in there, and, and we got in a, kind of a little argument. And I go, just wait in the car. Then I was, I was kind of I was tired, and I was trying to get done. She was tired. I mean, it's 3 in the morning. 
So she went and sat in the van, and I set the tripod up, and I shot the rest of the thing myself with me talking to the alien. I put the alien mask on, the suit, and I ran up against the I did all that dialogue. Then I took it off, got my regular clothes, did all my dialogue, cut all that together. It's in the first one. And, um, yeah, and then all of a sudden, I had a two-hour movie. And I go, <laughs> I shot too much. I, I got, I'll never get this in one. I'll have to make a second movie. So I took all that footage, put it together, got all done with it, and I go, oh, man, I'm going to need a third movie. And that's when, like, <laughs> Dustin um, Hubbard uh, wrote to me. He goes, Craig Line Incident, Craig Line Incident 2, such and such, Craig Line Incident through Annihilation, Craig Line Incident 4, and my wife was getting really mad. No, you, you, I would tell these people, don't egg you on. I don't want you doing that. I never see you anymore. <laughs> no, there's not going to be a Craigline incident 16. I go, baby, don't worry. I'm, I'm, I'm wrapping it up in part three. I'm done. And um, so that's where I ended up now. And Annihilation, just like I took Lost Faith from my nephew, uh, Dustin, that was one of his names, Craigline incident three, Annihilation. I go, can I have that and use that? He goes, yeah, man, it's for you. And I go, that's what I'm using. <laughs> but I'm not going to do the other ones. <laughs> so that's what I'm doing now. I got... 10 more footage, 10 more minutes. And yeah, Craigline Incident 2 Aftermath is done. And the next one is Craigline Incident uh, Annihilation. In fact, I just did a trailer. It's, um, you can see that on my Facebook page. It's a three-minute trailer for that. It's got a lot of the, the scenes are going to be in it. But I have 10 more minutes of footage that I want to shoot to... Um, there, there's a scene in there that I, I wanted to have where my character is killed... And then the aliens reach out to the other heroes so I could put them back a little bit more in the movie. Because mm -hmm. they, they only shot me so much stuff, so I couldn't, you know, do it. And then Phil said, he goes, dude, I, he goes, the cops are there. I'm not going back in there. And But it was such a cool location because <laughs> he used it in Horror Tales. He did actually go back. <laughs> and um, But, yeah, so that's my next one. So I wanted to show this, bring the uh, Emil back and Phil back and a couple other friends that are actors. Um, I always feel like, for my friends that are actors that don't get aren't doing a lot of work, I try and you know reach out to them and they go, "Hey man, I'll put you in this." Even at the expense of it pushes me overtime, and I'm like, "No, I got to get my friends in there, and they're counting on me to be in the movie." I did that with mm -hmm. Debbie Rashawn, and um, and Debbie sent me so much footage; it was great, but I couldn't fit it all into horror tales. And she's in. Yeah, Debbie Rashawn's also in the Craigland Incident, and she's in the Craigland Incident too, and. Her scene in the first one is great when she's in the World Conference, but in the second one, it's really funny, too. That's when a reporter's chasing her, trying to ask her, and she's saying, go fuck yourself, and stuff like that. <laughs> so that's really funny, but yeah, and then I got some stuff where uh, a lot of people shot um, some footage for me where they're with machine guns out in the woods, shooting the aliens, and I did all those, and then my Australian guy, uh, Gerardo Chiaro in Australia, he does all my special effects, and he's working on them, and then um, the last things I did were kind of some victim stuff where they're talking to the camera like, hey, we've been trapped, and we can't escape because the aliens got us, and then I put it all together and make it all work. That'll be a, a guy, w William A. Horton, he's an actor here, and he's kind of the one I run to for my tie together. So he'll be doing like a newscast. And he'll say, we're going to take you to Phoenix, Arizona, where we received this footage from somebody. And then you'll see that footage. And then it'll go back to him. So it's a whole coherent story, but I just crammed so much into it. So I hope okay. everybody, uh, I hope, uh, I got a lot of good feedback on the Craigline incident, the first one. And, and part two, I think a lot more on part one, which I thought part two was 
was cooler. But in part three, I, you know, I hope, I hope, you know, I hope people really like it and are going, oh man, that's cool because a lot of it it's effect driven, and you know, I'm hoping so. Okay, um, and I guess are you working on a project called uh, Beast Mode? Hell yeah, I forgot about that. Then we were doing uh, Beast Mode when uh, we did Tampa Bay Screams. Debbie Rashawn and Lloyd Kaufman were down here. And I've known Lloyd, I've known Lloyd since um, 2000. Well, I've known him as knowing him, but I mean actually meeting him. I met him in 2004. And we became, what I, you know, what I would call good friends. Not like we're talking to each other every day. But mm -hmm. I caught some video that, you know, there's no reason for him to have done that. Because I wasn't there. He didn't have to say my name, but I caught the, the video. Some Somebody shot and put it on my page. I go, look, Lloyd's talking about you. Lloyd was up in front doing a uh, the uh, screening of uh, Newcomb High, uh, okay. Return, to, Return to Newcomb High. And um, he did a little spiel up there with Debbie. He goes, I was just up in Joel Wynkoop in his uh, hotel room last night. Joel Wynkoop's a really great independent director and He's uh, very kind and knows what he's doing, and and it was really great to work with him. And, and Debbie was saying all these nice things too. And um, and I didn't have a lot of money, but I said I can't. Mm -hmm. You know, I gotta I gotta give the president of trauma something. So I and I, I pulled Debbie aside. I go, could I get you to come up to the room, shoot some stuff? I'll give you a hundred dollars. And and then I approached Lloyd and I told him the same thing. Lloyd, would you come up and I'll give you a hundred bucks? I said you're only gonna be there a couple hours. I said I know it's not a lot, but it's what I can do. Because I, mm -hmm. I got into that mood again. Like I said, Diary of Blood and Paranormal Club. I paid all those actors. So I said, mm -hmm. no, it's very it's important for me to be paid. So mm -hmm. why should I want to be paid and then not pay these actors? And a lot of filmmakers are like, well, I got this $80,000 camera. And I got this $100,000 light packet. And I got this million-dollar editing. And my actors all work for free. Well, that kind of sucks, man. You paid for money for all this other shit, but you won't pay the actors. So I, I at least try to pay all my actors. So um, so we shot all the Debbie scenes. We shot all the Lloyd scenes. And it was kind of cool, too, because I had said to begin with, I go, Lloyd, if you want, um, I can shoot all your scenes now. Um, and then I, I can intercut it. I'll cut it all together later. I can do that so I can get you out of here. No, Joel, it's okay. I, I can do it. So... As the night went on, as it went from 10 to midnight, and I think we pushed it a little past midnight, then I could see Lloyd was really getting tired. And uh, I remember saying, okay, Lloyd, what am I going to have you do here? He goes, let's just hurry this thing up. And I go, hey, no problem, man, because I knew that, you know. And uh, so we hurried up and did it. But Lloyd, you know, what a trooper to do something for uh, you know, here I am, this guy, I'm this nobody doing this movie. I only gave him $100, but I go, well, this is the part I'm going to pull the gun out and shoot you. I need you to fly back on the bed. Is that cool? Can you do that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I'll do that for you, Joel. I pull the gun, shoot, he throws himself up in the air, back onto the bed, lands on the bed, and I, and I told him, just lay there still like you're dead. And then, of course, it cuts back to Debbie. And he did it. It was great. And he was done. And I had one of the, I think I had Dustin, I think Dustin, I said, Dustin, would you walk Lloyd back to his room because that's only professional so dustin got him back debbie stayed shot debbie scene paid debbie and then dustin was back by then i said dustin would you walk debbie back again it's the professional thing to do mm -hmm. he got debbie back to her room she enjoyed it so debbie and i you know i started working with her on alien agenda back in 1996 endangered species with kevin linemouth and then we just 
working all these other things together, the behind the scenes killing spree, and then all my stuff, and then beast mode. But I stopped beast mode because uh, the guy that I'm working with on that, God, he's gonna kill me too. I can't remember his name. <laughs> he, um, I know it. I'm just forgetting right now. Uh, what? Yeah, Clint, Clint Kelly. And, uh, sorry, sorry, Clint. Um, uh, yeah, then, because we shot these scenes with Debbie and Lloyd. And then I got Dustin in there and Kai was in there for a couple scenes. And, and then, and then I wrote the rest of the script. But Clint was shooting something with Dustin, a couple of movies back to back, which took us straight into COVID. Everything got shut down. So by the time I wanted to go back, we were supposed to go back and shoot. Um, beast mode in March before any of this COVID crap we heard about. Okay. And it came, and then I told Clint, I go, we can't do this. I said, the whole idea behind beast mode, which I wrote, was to go back to 1995 and do a movie like Creep, where my character was funny at first, he's kind of silly, but he takes these drugs from his doctor, but he, instead of taking one which is to enhance his brain. He takes a bunch that make him get mentally disturbed, but at the same time turn him into, he's got super strength. But he goes on a psychopathic killing spree. And that's what I wanted to go back to. Grabbing girls, picking them over, <laughs> over my head, throwing them over my shoulder. I said, we can't do any of this. I can't do that. Now with this thing <laughs> going on. So we just, we stopped it completely. And I talked to Clint like, I don't know, six months ago, he goes, yeah, we got to do beast mode. And I go, yeah. I said, I just don't know how to get around all this. He goes, well, we can ask people, you know, are you vaccinated? That's what's good. There's just too many, too many people close, kissing, hugging, too close together. I, I don't want to shoot a movie and somebody calls me a week later and goes, hey, dumbass, thanks a lot. Now I got COVID because I was in your fucking movie. You know, <laughs> so I, I want to be careful, even though I see a lot of guys shooting movies. They're not using man. They're not taking any precautions. And I'm like, I guess it's just maybe they're just, maybe they're saying, oh, we're all vaccinated. Don't worry about it. But I'm I'm trying to do things as safe as can be. I just dropped my van off at Kia and the guy comes out and he goes, I go, how you doing, buddy? And he goes, oh, surviving COVID. I go, yeah, it's still going on. He goes, no, I survived COVID. He goes, I almost died because I was in the hospital. Eight of our guys got COVID here. The place almost <laughs> shut down. I go, no shit. And he goes, yeah. And then the guy that gave me the ride home, he goes, I had it, but only two or three days. It was easy. But four or five of guys, they were all in the hospital, like dying. And, and I don't want to get into that, but, you know, take it more serious because it is out there. It's almost like if you want to say when, when the when the black plague was here, bubonic plague, people were dying from that all over the place until they got it under control. So going back to do a movie like that, because, you know, I did Craig on. Everybody shot their scenes. You know, somebody shoots it in San Diego. Mm -hmm. Somebody shot their scenes in Japan. Somebody shot their scenes in Minnesota. The only mm -hmm. people that are together are the people that are together anyway. Like Jules, Jules Ciaro and Bob Glazier. They, they see each other all the time. They're best friends. So if something was going to happen, it's going to happen anyway. But here, can you guys shoot this? And they did. Uh, people that I was on the set with that I shot, we shot from more than six feet away. Everybody was masked up because of all things, I did call it at the end of the movie. This is a true, you know, COVID movie. It was shot during the height of the COVID. And which is funny about it. I went to the press because I said, hey, it's a good story for them. They don't give a shit. They don't care. <laughs> I'm like, this is something cool I did 
during a pandemic. You and, they, and everybody they had on TV, they go, "Oh, this this guy did a ten second movie over ten seconds. I got six hours, man." And they're just like, "Nope, nobody would write me back." And I go, "Whatever, man. I I, I got to do it. Do it for me." Because I enjoy doing it, and if I get it out there and people enjoy it, I'll, I put it in the credits. All I want to do is entertain you for two hours, you know? <laughs> that's, that's all I want to do, man. <laughs> well, I thank you uh, for your time. I was actually going to ask you if we could actually schedule something next week so that Absolutely. we can cover the rest of uh, uh, your career. I was hoping to get, like, your acting career in the second half, but... At the work in an hour, or so uh, so. But um, uh, I definitely want uh, you, you to come back and uh, uh, and hopefully um, the audience out there has enjoyed our conversation so uh, so far. I would like to make this a two parter. So oh, cool! I I love it. I had a guy. <laughs> I did. Uh, I did his um, a podcast, and oh, he'll kill me too. I can't, I know it's Chris Leto. Is one of the guys, and I went to their studio, and I did it, and he told me out of all the shows they did, the show with me was the most popular, and that made me feel good, because I was like, good, I guess, you know, even, unless they were just tuning in and going, there's an idiot, that, hey, everybody come look, you know, but he said that was his, his, the best podcast they had, the most views was when I was on, but and it made me feel good that, hey, people, maybe they're interested in my 40 years of what I've done, <laughs> you know, I don't, well, I think that's uh, just the best option for us to uh, go here because there's a lot of ground to cover. So, um, awesome. Uh, but um, why don't you tell us uh, uh, where can we find some of your stuff that, uh, that's out there, at least current, uh, currently? Do you have a website? I, I have a website. I rarely use it. In fact, I don't even know why I keep it up. Um, okay. But it is www.joeldwinecoop.com. But I haven't updated it. or I just don't... I. I don't like to build that shit. You got to go in there and get the picture and pull it in and size it and make it look like the other. And I mean, most of my stuff I just do off of Facebook. If okay. Somebody just goes uh, on a Facebook search and they put in my name, Joel D. Winecoop. I got another one that's actor Joel D. Winecoop. I don't use that one. I rarely go there. And I got eight other ones with, you know, Joel D. Winecoop's Lost Faith, Joel D. Winecoop the Bite, Joel D. Winecoop Diary Blood, Joel D. Winecoop the Winecoop Tale. <laughs> but the one I use mostly is just my name, Joel D. Winecoop on Facebook. I always have, you know, anybody can just write me and go, hey, or they'll sometimes they'll write me, where can I get this movie? And, and I finally told somebody, I go, look, every movie that I've been in that you want, I've got. Just ask me. I have them. Because I go to my distributors, and I go, look, I'll buy 50 of those. And he makes me a price. <laughs> and I go to this, I'll buy 20. So I'm in there for conventions, but they're for me to sell. Also, I'm doing something right now where if you buy one movie, you get a producer credit in the Craigline Incident 3. If you buy three of my movies, you get executive producer credit. If you buy 10, you get executive producer credit, and you get a title card at the beginning of the movie. Okay. So that's the stuff I'm, I push on Facebook, you know. Uh, that's I don't put like pictures of spaghetti and tacos and here's what I I don't give a shit. But uh, <laughs> my movies and stuff are, are on there, and that's I put those out there. So if somebody wants to to buy a copy, they can. And we just also finished Horror Tales six 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 part two. I uh, edited that for uh, uh, the producer Phil Herman, and it's being released by uh, uh, the Sleaze Box. And I'm trying to give Chris Woods the you know I'm saying. 
hey, I bought these from you a long time ago. I bought 20 copies, but I'm trying to be your friend. I'm not really selling them. But look, you know, at one point, you know, I, that's, I bought them to sell, not to, to, to manicure my uh, lawn with them. So mm -hmm. he understands that. I think he appreciates that because I'm saying I'm not going to sell them until, you know, Chris and I have that talk on the phone. I go, look, Chris, you know, I want to start selling them too. That's what I bought them for. And if he's like, well, can you just hold out till you know, the 15th, I'll go, yeah, man, I'll definitely work with you, but that's how it all is, you know, no other, you know, Ron Bonk doesn't tell me, okay, you can buy 25 of Creep, but don't sell them for five months, that's kind of <laughs> stupid, you know, Ron, you know, Ron's very gracious, I call him up, I go, Ron, I want to buy 20 copies of Creep, okay, gives me a kind of a wholesale price, I buy them, and then I put them on eBay, or I put them on my Facebook, and say, you know, look what I got, Mm -hmm. And and nobody's in jeopardy me of undercutting them because I don't undercut them. I make it higher. So if Ron says it's uh, you get a copy of Creep for fifteen dollars, I go you can get the copy of Creep from me for twenty. But I'm the guy in the movie, and I'll mm -hmm. sign it, and I always throw in extras. So why wouldn't you want to do that? I would love to get extras, and mm -hmm. I package it so well. I guess <laughs> my wife just got uh, Zack Snyder's Justice League. It 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 it, it was in it was in an envelope. <laughs> like this, as thin as this is the envelope. Thin's <laughs> the envelope, and there's the Zack Snyder cut of Justice League. And I'm like, look how much time I and and that you ask about people, let me know how they like stuff. Everybody gets back to me and they go, man, I thought this was packed for Fort Knox or something. You got you open the <laughs> box and then there's this wrapping and then there's bubble wrap and then there's more bubble wrap and then there's more <laughs> plastic bags, more bubble wrap. Then I get to the DVD. <laughs> More bubble wrap, more wrap, more bags. Because <laughs> I want to make sure if I send somebody something, it don't get broken in the mail. I get things from oldies.com, and a couple of them come broke because they got corrugated cardboard. It's, mm -hmm. it's tiny, tiny, thin. I don't know how that's protecting it, but I still make it the best I can for people. Well, thank you so much for uh, spending time with me. It's been an excellent pleasure, and uh, I hope you enjoyed the, uh, uh, the, the time, too, and I hope that uh, uh, the audience has enjoyed it as well. So, uh, um, uh, definitely, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, if we can get uh, get together next week, that, uh, that would be awesome. Um, yeah. Uh, and... Uh, uh, like, share, and subscribe, ladies and gentlemen. Hopefully, uh, uh, hopefully, uh, you just go out, buy his uh, uh, films if you can, and uh, give them a watch. So, thank you so much. Enjoy. Thank you, thank you, Dave, very much. I really, really appreciate it, buddy. Thank you so much. <laughs> That's no moon. That's what I love you to Where is everybody on? They're dead, Dave. Who is? Everybody, Dave. What, Captain Hollister? Everybody's dead, Dave. What, Todd Hunter? Everybody's dead, Dave. What, Selby? They're all dead. Everybody's dead, Dave. Peterson isn't, is he? Everybody is dead, Dave. Not Chen. Gordon Bennett. Yes, Chen. Everybody. Everybody's dead, Dave. Rimmer. 
he's dead Dave, everybody is dead, everybody is dead Dave. Wait, are you trying to tell me everybody's dead?